0: Before we get started with this episode of the Artists and Emotions podcast, I want to give a little bit of a trigger warning. This episode contains subject matter such as depression, deep depression, talks about abortion and women's rights, eating disorders, and body dysmorphia. If these are things that you're not comfortable listening to or you feel will trigger you in some way, I do not recommend listening to this episode of the podcast. But without any further ado, let's get started.
1: died and you never came to the funeral. You never called or sent a card. Nothing. I know. I'm sorry. Dad died and I had no one but that piece of shit in the back. Um, I just want to apologize about the other night. Uh, it's um, it's fine. You you were right. <laughs> Is there anything else? Uh, yeah, um, I found this notebook in my car um, here. No way!
0: I, I thought I lost this years ago.
1: Yeah, I just I found it digging through some old stuff. I'm just gonna head out. Um, I hope you find what you're looking for. I, I can't thank you enough. Test subject is 59-year-old Thomas Clark, a full-time employee at Playtime Co since 1955. Six months ago, he was diagnosed with terminal lung cancer. Now, Mr. Clark of Sound Mind has volunteered for this experiment. I can't tell you how easy it was. No mental health screenings. Nobody asking, hey, is this really a good idea? Hell, you don't even need to know how to use the damn thing in most places. Like getting your license without ever getting behind the wheel. Don't worry, though. I've always considered myself a responsible individual. And maybe you don't agree with me. And that's fine. I don't make the rules, you do. And you made it so easy. So what are you gonna do about it now?
0: Welcome to the Artists and Emotions Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Alexander-Curtis. And to be honest, I am very excited about our guest here today. I have Sam Quirion with us here today, and me. I have known her for a couple of years, but I've only ever really met her in person one time, (laughs) which we'll break into because we met on a set. But what we got in terms of... What we got up to when it comes to our sense of humor on that set, that is a story in and of itself, which we will get into, but Sam is not only an actor and an advocate for for women's rights and specifically around the subject matter of abortion, which we are also going to be getting into on here, but she's also just a very creatively funny person, so Sam, how are you doing?
1: I'm good, and I'm sorry to burst your your hose bubble, but uh. My na- last name is pronounced Kyrian. I get that oh. a lot.
0: Oh, that's great. You know, well, don't, you know.
1: Don't worry about it at all. I probably, I was like, oh, shoot, I probably should have told him before. But hey, I'm excited to be here.
0: Hey, that's okay. I'm just going to call you Quasimodo from now on. That's, <laughs> it's per- it perfect. I'll oh, just now go I from have there.
1: another nickname. My the- other nickname is the Rizzler. I got that on Robbie Moore's set recently.
0: Okay. Um... I think I need a little bit more context for this situation. <laughs>
1: <but> <laughs> so the kids call it Riz these days. Charisma is called what,
0: Having Riz. game is known as Riz yes. now. So <laughs> I was
1: having hella game on set with a couple people. And Gabe, Gabe Hurst came over and was like, yo, man, you just got the Riz. And I was like, what are you talking about? I'm just being me. And so he's like, no, I'm going to call you the Rizzler. So now I'm just the Rizzler within my friend group. <laughs>
0: that sounds so much like something gabe would do (laughs)
1: Yeah, i love him to death
0: yeah doesn't everybody though
1: right it's gabe how could you not with the blue beetle
0: exactly so okay uh here is where we're gonna talk about how we first met and here is how we're gonna break this down so uh we were both cast into a a short film that would be premiering at, was it last year or two? I think it was two years ago, 2021's
1: Damnation Band. I think it was, it was at, no, it was last year's. It was the first one they had back at the Nickelodeon. I think
0: you're right. It was last year's. Cause yeah, that's the, that's the same one that we're not out of the woods yet. And uh noah anderson's per uh film premiered at so yeah it was last year so we got cast into a film called waitlist which is a film about depression <laughs> funny that we're speaking about that on this <laughs> podcast uh but we got there and i would say that, that basically from the moment we started talking to each other there was this it constant rigged there was this constant joke that we were both either going to a have our asses kicked or have our asses kicked off of set because (laughs) there was a lot of to say there was a lot of playful banter back and forth just to make people feel uncomfortable is basically what we were doing the entire time we were there
1: but is that not what you're supposed to do
0: (laughs) I mean, I think it is said that actors are just eight-year-olds in adult bodies. So, yes,
1: and we have no boundaries.
0: Yeah, exactly. No so, it was. Uh, so needless to say, uh, it was very childish is what yes. it comes down to. But that is what you do when you're on a film set and you have good connections with people. Yes. Uh, but it was a lot of fun. And we learned that we had a few connections that we knew, Robbie being one of them. And his sister Haley, and then, and Bodie, I mean, and Bodie, yeah, and Bodie. Which I love
1: ab- that shit, a- Bodie. Ab-
0: absolutely, absolutely love that man. He is the best. So, now that we have a little bit of history, I want to talk about you. Like first of all, we'll get into the more serious stuff later on, but first, I want to talk about sort of. Where did you find your passion when it come to when it comes to acting? Like, how did you get started in all of this?
1: Oh God! Um, ever since I was little, like classic story. Ever since I was little, I was very much a drama queen. I I had this dream of being like a singer and all this stuff, and I wanted to. I had the prima ballerina dream. I had your classic. I wanted to be a ballerina. And then I got sick of dance lessons. I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, I don't, I honestly don't know where it came from. I've just always been drawn to the stage since a very, very young age. And I love being able to pretend, I love being somebody else, you know, probably because of the lingering mental illness underneath all of that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, no, God. I just. I loved make believe i loved it all and i i don't know what drew me to it i just and i mean i think i just like the attention the good attention
0: i mean let's be honest anybody any actor that says they're in this not for attention is is lying to themselves we absolutely love getting attention when things are 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 going good absolutely or when things are not going good depending on what mental state you're in
1: oh yeah no (laughs) I'm tired of the being this getting the attention for things being bad. That is, yeah, no, I'm over it.
0: Yeah. So, all right. So we've already sort of established and that was, that was good. Now I want to know if there's been any, any production or any role that you've been on. Well, while you've already sort of been passionate and in love with this whole world, was there one particular thing you did where you're like, I know for sure. Now I'm in the right place.
1: Honestly, I got, I had, I had been struggling to figure out my direction in life. I knew I always wanted to be an actress. I knew that was always a thing, but it wasn't, it wasn't your quote unquote, like stable income. Like you needed to get something not like legit because acting is legit. You needed something that would pay the bills. And so I was struggling to go through school to figure out something I wanted. I went through like seven, eight different majors, three different schools. And I finally ended up at SMCC and in the communications and the media program um, I will preface this by saying I was looking at my semester to go to a different college coming up and I was a business accounting major and I was looking at this business class I was supposed to take and I'm like there is no way in hell I am doing this this is I would rather pull out every single one of my eyelashes because it was talking about how we would look into a business and make like this full portfolio like analyst of it and I'm like gross no so my mom was like well why don't you go take a couple of these classes at SMCC so the first two classes I took were like an intro graphic design and intro to video production and I immediately fell in love there and I was like why didn't I just do this in the first place and I knew that was it and so I finally got a degree a couple of years ago and it took me like eight years but it takes everybody I'm still trying to not beat myself up about it but I finally have a degree in something I love eight years later and I'm very proud of working hard for it and um, then what just was amazing was I was in Katie Collier's uh, mayhem film like mother like daughter and I got the part of Lillian which was basically the lead (laughs) and I was in every single scene and just like I got to premiere on the big screen at the Nickelodeon for the first time and I was in love with it. I was just I was like, yes.
0: Yeah. Um which you crushed, by the way. That that film you. that film is great. Like in, in general, I think Katie and, and everybody did a great job, but you to have a, a film like that placed on your shoulders is no easy task and you no. absolutely carried it. You you did a great job.
1: Thank you, Elizabeth. Elizabeth Freeman. Yeah, that's her last name. I'm sorry, Elizabeth. She was amazing to work with. I loved her. She was my, my, uh, my state, my co-star mother. (laughs) She played my mother on the film, which was, I really enjoyed working with her. There was this really cute last scene we did, unfortunately got cut, that I loved doing with her. We were, we were both on the couch eating pizza, talking about like, kind of like, Lillian's mother was estranged. So she comes back, for like because she literally just killed somebody so um she comes back and at the end of the whole movie without giving too many spoilers away if you still want to watch it um we're just catching up and we're talking we're reconnecting and it was this really beautiful scene and unfortunately I ended up on the cutting room floor but I just I still think about that every once in a while doing it with her um so yeah
0: okay fair enough (laughs) (laughs) i don't do this often hey it's absolutely fine listen i don't generally do podcasts that often but apparently when i do i decide i want to take control of the entire operation but here we are uh but yeah so moving on from that obviously life inside the arts is is challenging on its own life outside of it can downright be daunting and i sort of want to i want to move into i want to move into why specifically not necessarily the women's rights thing but what was it about what was it about going into abortion and diving into that subject matter that that called to you so strongly to to take something that you already love, which is the format of storytelling and film and acting and yes. translating that to create such a, a powerful message when it comes to this. And for any of you who are curious what I'm talking about, Sam did a wonderfully done, a uh, little advocation piece for women's rights and for abortion, which I will play at the end of this podcast episode. If you are, if you're, on the audio version of this podcast, that's fine. I will have this episode up on YouTube as well, so you can watch it there. And I'll also provide a link for you to go see it. But what was it? A uh, what has it been about on your own personal journey that made this such a draw and such a a passionate thing for you?
1: So I remember when it, the abortion rights really started hitting the news, and we'd already gone through COVID and we were still kind of in the thick of some of it and so everybody was on edge and then the women's rights stuff started getting stronger along with the black lives matter movement everything was intense i was drawn to women's rights because i am a very very strong advocate of not telling other people how to live their life you know and i remember i was on the floor um the Roe v. Wade got overturned I was on the floor in one of the rooms that I was working in and I just started crying I was so furious with just this decision that finally happened and I felt helpless and I was because I'd already been seeing all the other stuff about I was already pissed off enough with all the other stuff so I was so furious I was on the floor crying and I was it was that furious to a point that, all right, we're doing something about this. And so this was a couple of years ago and I decided I immediately just texted Ben and Bodie right then and there, uh, Ben Rooker, who is my partner, who is amazing, great artist. We can go into him later. <laughs> and I was like, we're gonna film a PSA for this and we're gonna raise money. And um, that's that's how it happened. And women's rights have come so far since, all the time, and the fact that we're starting to turn back on that is just, it's not okay, obviously, and we, we can't go back, we just can't, because if that goes back, what else is going to go back? Like, we're already, Black Lives Matter is still already fighting, and yeah. Yeah. I am not good talking about some of this stuff. <laughs>
0: hey, it's okay. Literally any emotion you feel while you're talking about this is absolutely fine. Uh, to, to go along with that, because I do agree with you. Uh, it, it's funny because uh, on the, the the episode before the, uh, the recording of the one we're doing right now, we actually got into the discussion of, of internet culture. And how internet culture, while a lot of stuff has been for the betterment in terms of advancing technologies and getting information out to people, in terms of in terms of where everybody stands with each other, in terms of equal rights, in terms of understanding things, in terms of the LGBTQ community, in terms of everything, so much thing so many things have taken like a fifty percent backslide. Exactly. It's, it's if there, I know for me, if there's one thing that I don't necessarily have a problem with is is saying that the traditionalist mindset, not not like the abusive mindset from the 50s that men have had when it comes to their their partners and their children and their families and everything else. But I do I'm OK with us sort of pushing for the traditionalist mindset of it's okay if you are a man and, and working hard and all of that stuff is, is like, it's a part of who you are and being okay with your own masculinity. Whereas I'm sure, you know, if you, whatever, whatever issue that you, that you pick, there are extremes on, on either side of whatever issue. Like, honestly, this is, this could probably be its own, its own episode, but I want to, I want to circle back to, to the whole Roe V Wade thing and, and women's rights and, and abortion. Cause I do, uh, I do agree. And the thing that I hate most that internet culture has done is trying to push this, this idea that, you know, if you are, if you are an independent woman who's got, career goals of where she wants to go and you don't necessarily want to have children and you don't want to start a family right off and you you don't want to settle down by the time you're like 27 then that's a bad thing
1: it's been it's it's still so pushed in culture like anytime you get married immediately like the next question is like six a year later it's like okay so when are you having kids and um that's that's a huge stigma pushed on women that is luckily it's starting starting to fade away it's but it's still there
0: i do think sort of what we're talking about here is is a very very important dialogue because obviously with every single kind of person out there you're going to have you're going to have uh, opinions and everybody's got an opinion it's but the fact of the matter is is that what in, in terms of what is right and in terms of what is a pattern specifically a toxic pattern when it comes to forcing beliefs on people that is something that has come to the limelight that really needs to go away that's like one one major thing and it's not just like it's it's every it is everything from how you should your live your life to how men should live their life to how women should live their life to abortion to the economy to how families are raised to the educational system, which I could go on a rant about the United States educational system. Short version is the education system of the United States. America is on a 100, 200 year education system that really needs to be updated. And unfortunately, it's not really moving all that forward. But, you know, I will pass it over to you because another what I didn't say at the top of this co- podcast before we started recording is that during the course of this, if you have questions for me, whatever they are, you are more than welcome to to ask them. That is perfectly OK with me. So I, I think the thing for me now is just what have what have you found in your own life that has sort of helped you with with your own mental health journey when with going through through all of these things
1: i mean other than the prescription medications <laughs> <laughs> um so that, that is a very difficult question for me to answer because my mental health has been just an ongoing kind of struggle which i mean anyone with any mental health issues can can definitely agree to um I have been heavily relying on my my therapist and um, my support system that I have set up in place, just like my general doctor support system, my parents, my friends, my partner. Um, That's a huge, that's huge for me to rely on in addition to just general self-care, which I am awful at. I don't realize that like self-love and self-care is simply like a five-minute walk. Like that doesn't I forget about that. And it's a big thing that I'm working on, but this is a really good segue into last year. I was in an accident. Um, I was rear-ended and I ended up with a concussion and because I've had one too many hits to the head, because I mean, it's me. um, I ended up with post-concussion syndrome, which is a very long, basically it's, it is a brain injury and it's a very long recovery from, from just concussions in general. So I had to go to speech therapy. I had to do, Uh, just physical therapy to get like my, my vision alignment to stop being dizzy. I had to get all the vision therapy done. I was struggling to find words and sentences. And from all this, I started developing this very, very strong anger that was just bubbling inside me. And I'm not normally a physical person, but I was feeling like I wanted to punch something and I never have that type of issue. And It was a really big struggle trying to cope and come to terms with like what happened with the accident and just trying to let go of like the the person who hit me like what they do and like what they got out of it because they kind of got away with it but anyway (laughs) cool the brain injury is coming and it's like i don't know where i was talking about so i've been dealing with like the long-term uh ramifications from that which are just memory problems and um trying to find words and just uh yeah (laughs) trying to figure out what I'm doing I don't know what I'm doing hey Cody how are you doing hey I'm good thank
0: you thank you for but I mean in all seriousness I think that is I think that is important an important point to bring up because I'm gonna more than guarantee that. Well, when you were going through that, it kind of sounds like it, it wasn't the easiest time no. in the world while you were going through the recovery process for that.
1: No, it was really difficult. The anger definitely came along with um, with trying to accept that the person who hit me was just got a slap on the wrist. He was on his phone, and it was unfortunate. But I also was trying to deal with just the recovery in itself of not being able to do anything. I I couldn't get involved in the the film community like I wanted to because um, screen time was completely shut off so I couldn't watch movies I couldn't watch TV which I mean as a filmmaker and an actor it's what I love and um, I could barely hold conversations for longer than five minutes without being absolutely exhausted and my head throbbing and so my depression just like kicked into high gear and just like (sighs) it just yeah I keep saying and yeah a lot it's fine getting started um it it just kicked it into high gear and I was struggling so much and I just remember so many countless times laying in bed and being like I just don't want to wake up tomorrow morning and I don't want to deal with this anymore so I ended up reaching out to a post-concussion group on Facebook and it was it was nice knowing that I even six months at one point when I joined the group that I was not alone in facing this. And a lot of people were talking about, yeah, this is like they're five years out and they're still dealing with some issues from their injury. And that's basically when I turned to, that's also when I turned to get a new therapist and what really, really helped was just grounding, just being mindful and just like connecting with the earth. And I started, I get embarrassed talking about it because I feel like a total hippie and just weird. I basically discovered my spirituality within this and the spirituality I believe in is kind of like, I call mother earth, like the great mother and just like the spirit of everything. It's very, very tree hugger. Um, And I would just look for solace and just peace within nature itself to just calm me. And it was immensely helpful for me.
0: Yeah, I'm. First of all, I'm glad you brought that up because for me, I'm not. I'm not gonna call it tree hugger ash. I I don't think it's. I I think it's just a way of 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 helping you through the world. Because if I'm gonna be perfectly honest, something that I like to do is go outside and do breath work, which in and of itself yeah. seems very very hippie esque. But I. I listen to audiobooks, I do breath work, and I journal, which those three things right there are also considered kind of hippie esque. But I'm kind of glad that those things are actually being pushed to show that yeah, these things are helpful now. Because but I'm I'm glad you bring that up because also I think spirituality is awesome. Like I am someone who feels like I am also on my own spiritual journey. And I think that the nice thing about spiritual spirituality, look, and this is, this is nothing against religion. Their religion works for a lot of people, but I have stated time and time again, religion is not something that works for me, but spirituality exactly same for me, spirituality, because there is nobody controlling it except you. There is no one watching your every move with what you do. There is no one telling you you're doing this wrong. You need to be over here doing it this way. And you can sort of just move through life on your own journey with your own self. I just find it so, so much more impactful. And I've seen it not only for me, but other people in my life who aren't necessarily religious, but do turn to spirituality to help them move through life countless countless benefits
1: yeah. yeah mindfulness is just huge just mindfulness in itself and just mostly just meditation any kind of meditation grounding being one of them has been literally pushed by my therapist since I was like eight and do I listened. I never listened so gravitating toward that now has been huge for me but if I can segue I think this would be great to talk about which I'm going to throw on you oh. out of nowhere Cody has no idea what I'm about to say. It's not awful, but I've been extremely transparent with this. I am actually currently in a partial program for an eating disorder. And um, I've just finished up week two. And I think it's great that we're here to be able to talk about this because going along with being an actress and my mental health, a lot of that has been impacted by body image and what the, Mm -hmm. what society and what the whole industry pushes on women and for this image of beauty. And that is a huge, one of the reasons why I have this severe body dysmorphia. Also my concussion last year pushed depression. I gained weight. It pushed my eating disorder to come more to light. And so I'm just happy to be getting treatment for that now, but I hate the industry and its expectations on women. There, in film and TV, there are two types of women that you see. You either see the typical, like, skinny, um, this tinny, typical, skinny, beautiful girl that gets cast as the lead. And then you have the, I'll just say it bluntly, you have the fat comic relief friend. There's no in between. While you see with men, you see all sizes, all shapes and sizes of men in these move in these films and movies but women it's just two sizes there's no like in between i don't see myself i don't see my size in there as much and that has a huge impact on young women and girls and obviously myself as an adult and that's something that the industry i really they're trying to work on it but i just feel like it's not quite there yet
0: yeah i I don't disagree with you. Um, And I'm going to I am going to sort of tweak what you said there, because in terms of men, yes, you do see you do see all kinds of all kinds of men of every shape and size. But the one thing I will say is in terms of romantic leading men or like male superheroes or. Disney princes or anything you don't you don't see anybody except soup like the elite of the elite when it comes to the male specimen. and yes. I will say being somebody in this industry, I only got over an eating disorder like three years ago because oh. um, I have I have had both anorexia and bulimia over the course of my lifetime. And a big portion of that when I was younger was because this whole concept that if you were, if you, number one, your body doesn't look a certain way. Number two, if your, your face and everything else doesn't look a certain way. And if you don't eat a certain way, then the industry is going to look at you a certain way. So it has been a it's been a big big problem. I mean, if I'm going to speak from my own experience, I remember there was one time. First of all, when I was in college, I was on my college's cross country team. I got down to a hundred and a hundred and five pounds, I think. And for for someone who was in theater and super stressed and trying to get into the industry all at the same time, while I was taking acting classes. Uh, it, it it was not good. I came home. I was super depressed. Was told by my family I had a problem, and you know the biggest problem with eating disorders when you have them, you don't think that you have them most of the <laughs> time. At least that was yep. my ex- that was my experience, and it took a lot. It and you're right. The industry, when it comes to this issue, the industry needs to take it, it needs to take a look at itself in the mirror because it is. It's still a problem that is rampant, where it is less so about what a person's talent is and more so what they look like on the outside.
1: Exactly. And
0: I, I mean, I'm happy where I am now. Like, I will say that in terms of I feel happy. I feel like I'm in the best shape I've ever gotten into. And in terms of my eating habits, they've sort of turned around. But that took I'm 27 now. I didn't really officially get to the place I am right now until probably the end of last year. So even though the eating disorder ended when I was around 24, still like growing and moving to a place where I'm actually comfortable and not super self-conscious about everything. I would say that has been probably 17 years since everything started when I was about 10.
1: Mm. I was I'm clearly glad you brought that up. I was gonna ask you from the male perspective within the industry what happened and I completely forgot that all like the lead roles are the buff, like Henry I mean, Cavill looking beautiful type and not that I mean you're just you're ugly. No, I'm just kidding.
0: Oh no, it's fine. Yeah, you know kidding. what? You know, but like, yeah, obviously you're hideous too. <laughs> no, <I'm
1: kidding.
0: laughs> so mean. But the one thing, look, as as beautiful as their stories are. And as much as they have helped kids out, there is one thing I'm going to point to, which we were all raised on, which is a major factor as to why this is still happening. And that is Disney films. All of the princess fairy tale stories, I still have such a fond place in my heart for, but there's no denying that there is one body type in every single one of those stories. And there is one body type for every male and every prince in one of those stories.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, So when they did the remake of Beauty and the Beast, I'm sure it's it's already well-known out there. I love Emma Watson. I love how much of an advocate she is. And I'm very uneducated in everything. I have a little bit of knowledge about everything, but she's a huge advocate for like everything. And I remember very specifically when they were doing wardrobe for Belle, for Beauty and the Beast, she refused to wear a corset. She said, she she literally said that's not the image she wants out for, for kids to have, and it's not a realistic figure. And it made me so happy hearing that. Um, and it's just, it, it's heartwarming to know that she is using her celebrity power to push that forward. Eating disorders are just so deeply rooted from childhood a lot I remember growing up and uh, reading magazines like the 17 magazine the teen vogue and my mom would even say now those girls look like that they're airbrushed that way and it just it didn't it didn't still click but um I was I actually ended up with a dietitian like at a very young age which was not helpful but what did your childhood like How do you feel like your childhood affected? Do you have triggers from that?
0: Oh, big time. You (laughs) just, I will say, you just opened up a whole can of worms. So if I'm going to be, if I'm going to be transparent about this, uh, to sort of not going to all of the details, I was, I was emancipated at the age of 16 from my biological family. And a reason for that was because, Although my biological family was one thing. I'm trying to be very careful here. My real family, uh, the people I consider my mother, my dad and my sister, although they weren't biologically connected to me, they were the people who were constantly, constantly taking care of me. But at a certain point, at a certain point. Uh, something happened and they lost a, a battle of custody for, for me and my brother. And I went home to my biological family for nine months. Uh, basically from, uh, from the age of basically when I was 10 is what it comes down to. And during that time period to say that I barely ate would probably be an understatement to say that I would eat just for survival would be the other thing because there wasn't really any cooking or anything going on around the house. And I was essentially making food for me and my brother during that time. So I would say, yes, that was definitely a major, major factor that, that played into it. And I'm also now somebody where it's a habit that I have worked on for a little while, but there was a point my senior year of college, where I didn't eat for and and some of my old college friends will remember this. I, I I didn't eat for like a week straight, like because I was doing two plays at the same time, and I was getting uh I was getting post production done on my senior uh, thesis film, and I was doing another film for a filmmaking class, and I was doing pre production for. For uh, for suffocation, which is the feature film I directed in the fall, so I just I had water sparingly and I just didn't eat. So I know that definitely had a hand to play in all of this, but there we are. So I'm gonna <laughs> I'm going to flip it now over to you. Uh, was there a particular moment where you realized, okay, yes, this is a problem or somebody else uh pointed it out to you because like i said before when you when you are in the deep stages of not only having depression but having an eating disorder it's almost impossible to realize what kind of damage you're doing to your body
1: yeah i i completely agree with you on that that's a great point um it was mostly kind of the beginning of this year. A lot of stuff shifted. Um, I ended up with a new psychiatrist to do med management and they were looking at a couple of minutes like, Oh, you shouldn't be on both of these with bipolar. It's not good. So we got off one of my medications and like instantly I gained 20 pounds and it was awful. And people were able to notice it and it was pointed out at one point. And then I hyperfixate on nothing but that. And then right after that, uh, the the doctor told me that we were going to stop my antidepressant and just stay on the mood stabilizer. And she took me off of it so fast that I ended up with withdrawal symptoms and it was a nightmare. So I had to push back against my doctor and just draw out this, this tapering process. But it, I was miserable. I was, was back to just those complete lows and not being able to get out of bed and I was also struggling eating at one point and I was miserable and so my eating disorder kicked back up and I had been on and off managing it I think it's called managing it but looking back on it now since being in treatment that was not um I felt like I was managing it well and there was this whole week that I just was absolutely wreaking havoc on my body and I struggle with like binging and bulimia so it was like every day that week it was awful and my mood tanked I was my I started getting more heart palpitations and I was constantly shaking and I was like okay <laughs> we need to fix this. And literally not two weeks prior, I was talking to my therapist openly about the eating disorder. She's like, do you want to like start, do you want to get help? And I was like, no, no, I got it. It's good. A week after that, I was like, okay, we need to get this fixed. Like we need to do treatment. And that was my kind of aha uh-huh treatment point. And so I started two weeks ago and it's weird even being within treatment still kind of now i still kind of have that refusal of like oh no you don't need to be here like you don't have an eating disorder but it's like no no, no. let's look back on that month where you really messed with your body you have an eating disorder um
0: yeah i think that's i think that is super important to bring up because it's it is once again it is gaining traction and there is I'm going to bring up this point because I think it is one of the major reasons why the conversation is once again in the public eye. Uh, For any of you who do not know what it's like to have an eating disorder, especially one that is excruciatingly bad, I highly recommend either listening to interviews with Jeanette McCurdy or picking up her book. I'm glad my mom died. And in that book, she she talks about sort of her own experience with having a severe eating disorder. And I had I had never, up until that point, read something that so accurately captured my own experience with what it's like to having an eating disorder. And she just put it out there. And thanks to that book, once again, it is in the public eye that... What what people what the industry expects and pushes in terms of an image on the public, it is not healthy. Like the the fact of the matter is, if if you get a role and they're like, yeah, we want you to train for something. I'm someone who's like, yeah, absolutely. If I'm interested in it, I'm going to do it. But it shouldn't be one of those things where it creates these unhealthy cycles of where you've got to go through something just because you feel like you need to get a job.
1: Right. It. I'm glad you brought that up in group that book was literally brought up it is on my my list to read it is uh, incredible so I, I will definitely i think i've been tr- struggling i've been struggling to find a book right now so i think i'll be hopping on that one next
0: also so. um if you'll allow me i actually i actually just uh started reading a new book that uh honestly for for everybody listening obviously no sponsorship are here for anything but there's a book i started reading about trauma uh and it's called the body keeps the score i'm not gonna try to to pronounce the author's name because it is it's at least it's foreign to me and it's it's very confusing but what this what this book goes into detail about is it, it talks about how no matter what your experiences are in terms of having traumatic experiences if you feel like you've completely gotten over them that trauma is still inside of your DNA and inside of your tissue. And if you don't realize that and don't find ways to help yourself, whether that means by yourself or going to groups or Facebook groups or seeing a therapist or talking with friends and family about it, those things compound and they can be very destructive on your life.
1: Oh, absolutely. There is so I'm a smut reader. I love reading smut books. There is a A whole trope section that I cannot read because of a past trauma. It was an ex partner that was physically, emotionally abusive, and he happened to be a hockey player. I cannot read anything with hockey players in it now. I just I've gotten over the initial trauma of it. Once in a while, I might still have some flare ups, but I just the second I see anything to do with a hockey player, I'm like, nope. So yeah, it definitely it just strings forever.
0: Yeah. and also for for i haven't made this recommendation on the podcast yet but if i know it is at least for me obviously everybody's got to figure out what works for them i have found that uh listening to audiobooks i personally first of all i'm my mind is too buzzing all the darn time so i can't physically sit down and read a book unless it's short but i'm pretty
1: sure the two of us are too dyslexic too dyslexic to be actors that's coming from someone who is just like that i don't want to sorry i don't want to offend anybody but i love audiobooks yeah.
0: but i i listen to audiobooks all the darn time and specifically i read self-help books because i find that reading reading certain books um i talked about this uh, a couple of episodes ago but i finished reading the book atomic habits by james clear which is all about the fact that building habits isn't something that you do over the week or a month or even a couple of months. It's something that builds up over the course of a lifetime, and you can always whittle down whatever you think your major tasks are down to down to uh, something he calls the two minute rule. So let's say that you've got a you've got to write a paper for school. Literally, open up your laptop, take a deep breath, and open up a Google Doc. There, you're done. Take a break, do whatever you need to, and then come back and see if you can do more. And that also applies with. That also applies with the healing process. Like, and the fact is we have gone, we've gone a lot deeper into this than I thought we would, but I'm very glad that we have. But these things we're talking about, they're super important because when it comes to this industry, the one common trait that I have seen from so many, so many actors who make it, or even people who are on the road to making it is that we're all, I mean, with all intents and purposes in some way we're all fucked up it's it's every single actor who i have met or someone who is in the arts or or the creative space is either on antidepressants or they're going to see a therapist or they're in some kind of a support group or they're constantly talking out their issues it's it is the biggest reason why i started this podcast and i've said this before I don't think there are that many podcasts in the creative space that specifically talk about mental health and specifically the darker and more uncomfortable things to talk about. And unfortunately this is stuff that needs to be talked out about more. And my hope with this podcast is that we can actually get it talked about more because I
1: truly believe that act like all actors. I truly believe there's a reason for that. we all have this mental illness it's because we're so closely tied to these emotions and we're so talently able to recreate them because we're a lot of us are pulling from our own traumas that's how i don't like to be method but sometimes i'm not as shia labeouf method but uh i i pull a lot of that emotion when i can um from personal experiences, which I think is true for every actor. And I feel like I'm just stating the obvious, but I think that's kind of what makes a lot of actors is their own mental illnesses. And it may not be true for all actors. Cause I'm sure there's some yeah. out there that are like, whatever, but.
0: Yeah. And I, I also know for a fact from people I've talked to, there are certain projects or certain places where actors have dipped into the most, mentally damaging aspects of their life to to bring characters to life which that is that is also something that we as actors need to work on because That's there's super they,
1: healthy there
0: there's gotta be a healthier a healthier way to to actually go about this then oh god
1: so that audition tape i sent you for i can't broken, broken pedals broken petals which i am so sad i couldn't join you on that but the brain injury is not working for it what i was literally thinking through that entire monologue was my experience with suicide and going through it and then i also tied it to ben was reading for me i tied it to losing ben and that's just how the tears came
0: no it's it's okay i i gotta i gotta say Like I am, I am sad that it fell through because once again, you absolutely crushed your audition. You were, uh, you were, it was going to be between, if I'm going to be honest now that casting and and the film is actually out there now, um, it was between, it was between you and, and Wallace Douglas who funny enough, she's actually going to be on the podcast and ultimately Things fell through because you were still in very, very... If your concussion wasn't a problem, I was actually going to do a round of callbacks for you two to, to yeah, make my final decision. But the the thing that I like so much about both of you, and it speaks to your talent as an actor and Walsh's experience as, as just a person living life, is that both of you didn't feel like you were acting. And that, in my opinion... Is at the very end of the day, it is the goal of us as performers. And that's why it's so important. Also, I hate the the industry pushes the fact that you need to be working on stuff like 24-7. Because if you don't live a life outside of this thing, you don't really have anything to bring to the table. and. Yeah. That is another reason why mental health is put into question because every actor at some point thinks they need to drive themselves into the ground to actually make it. And some of us are still guilty of doing it to this very day.
1: (laughs) That's, that's something that I've luckily, I think, I think given all the other stuff I've gone through, uh, I didn't pursue my acting career as much as I wanted to because I was concerned with, my stress levels because in addition to just everything that comes with being an actor the scheduling is in the, the time that is very very time consuming I don't do a lot of plays anymore since high school I haven't been in one because I always had anxiety about tech week and how it was five 12 hour days in a row and how to get that work-life balance I struggled with so I'm so happy you have this podcast because I'm literally just within this past month, I have set a goal of putting myself out there, getting into more, getting into more films and more shows and within the community.
0: I'm glad you're on here. And I think, I think us bringing up this this point of, uh, taking care I think this is more of a somber note than the the previous last episodes have been but I think this actually is a good place for us to start slowing down and to to the wrap up of the episode because everything that we've talked about here everybody who's listening I want you, if there's anything above and beyond everything else, there might be more episodes like this, which there more than likely will be. I want you to, once you leave here to actually sit back and ponder everything that Sam and I have talked about today, because it, it just points to the fact of everything I have said before. If you are going to get into this industry, it has to be you and your mental health first, worrying about your career and worrying about being an actor that needs to be second, because if you do not, if you do not take care of your mental health, if you do not take care of yourself, this industry will chew you out, spit you out, and then chew you up again. And it will not give a second thought about it. So, before we do go, Sam, is there anything in terms of last-minute advice or things that you're proud of that you would like to share here?
1: Well, there's everything. So, first off, um, I really wanted i really wanted to come forward and share my story to reach out and get help. It is super important and it is possible even if it's just writing in a journal that is the beginning um so don't ever feel ashamed and a lot of the stuff i'm saying i need to start believing so moving on to a happier note um i would absolutely love 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 anybody to check out the gofundme link for um the abortion kind of i'm calling the psa that i put out i and raising money for Planned Parenthood, the thank thank goodness that the site has the option to just directly allocate the funds to them. So I don't even touch them. So you know your money's gonna go right there and help them out. And I am working on getting an agent. So I have my reel attached here. So I'm hoping um, that'll work out. So I have a working reel. It's gonna be great. Go check it out. And my current project I'm working on is for Damnation Land this year. We Woohoo! we have put this off for a couple of years, but we made a whole new script so that we can get it done. It's called Ink. And funny enough, it's actually dealing with a young girl struggling with her depression and just creating this new reality away from the rest of the world and kind of fighting with inner demons. So
0: I love that.
1: Yeah, it's, it's going to have a very cool ending that's going to be open to interpretation.
0: I love that, and I love, love that kind of storytelling. But for anybody who is interested in the GoFundMe link and to see the video, once again, the video is going to play after this podcast episode has concluded. And the link to the GoFundMe, it's not only going to be in the description for this episode, but it'll also be in the description for... Uh, for the episode when it goes up on YouTube.com, so you'll have a couple of ways to access it. And yeah, without a doubt, go there, give whatever you can, and yeah, support, support, support. Once again, I just gotta say, I gotta say, thank you for coming on, Sam, and sharing your story. It thank it, it means a lot. Me.
1: Thank you for having me. I'd love to come back <laughs> because I have you know years more worth of stories for you. But no. Uh, <laughs> It is so great seeing you. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed this. And I am so happy that you are are doing this because this mental health, this is such an important topic to discuss within our community because pretty much any creator within our community struggles with this.
0: This has been the Artists and Emotions Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Cody Alexander Curtis and we certainly hope that you got something from today's episode. Something that you can take with you on your own mental health journey. But until next time, I'll see you guys.